Welcome back to Comics Over Time, where we shine a spotlight on classic comic stories and the TV shows or big screen blockbusters they inspired. We'll look to connect the dots from the comic book panels to the moving pictures, examining where the adaptation followed the comics closely and where they decided to go their own way. And when we're done, we'll try and answer that most important of questions, who told the tale best? My name is Dwayne. With me, as always, my good buddy, Dan. Dan, how's it going? Fun week. Time to uh, hang out and talk some comics. So this week, we're actually going to get ready for the last Marvel offering of 2023. The must anticipate, much anticipated, and oft-maligned, pre-maligned, before anyone's even seen it, The Marvels. Given how big the first Captain Marvel film was, I find that really surprising. It's just like everybody is is expecting it to fail and are almost rooting for it to fail at this point, which is which is disappointing because the trailers to me look actually really interesting. There's a lot of, of rooting for comic book movies in general to fail and so yes. But yes. this this movie does actually figure to have a lot of new or newish kind of faces in it. And so we are here confident that all of the, our listeners are crazed enough about Marvel that they're going to be making their way to the theater, regardless of weather or ratings. And uh, we're going to here to let you know a little bit more about the comic history that might kind of give you some better understanding of these characters as you head out there to, to watch the show. Yes, I definitely was hoping that we would get to this because there's definitely some characters that I did not meet until this week. And I feel much more prepared for the movie than I did uh, just a week ago. So before we dive in and talk about the stack, though, let's talk a little bit of comic book news. And I saw this Marvel introduces the new Punisher in the first series preview. So earlier this year, Frank Castle, a.k.a. The Punisher, retired from his nonstop killing spree as uh, Jason Aaron, Jesus Saiz, and Paul Azaseka uh, finished off their run with The Punisher. And now San Diego Comic-Con, they said they're bringing The Punisher back, but it is a new person. It's not Frank Castle. It is a retired S.H.I.E.L.D. Black Ops agent by the name of Joe Garrison, who is taking on the role of the Punisher in this new series that actually comes out this week. November 8th is when the first issue comes out. David Papose and David Watcher are on the uh, on this new book. And uh, I think it's kind of interesting. We 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 talked a little bit before about vengeance of the moon knight having a new a new character behind the moon knight costume and now we're having a a new person behind the punisher a new character behind the punisher moniker so uh, a lot of long-standing characters getting kind of a a new a new character underneath them what do you what do you think about some of this there dan so the punishers had a checkered past, especially over the last few years. Stuff sort of completely outside of the control of the character or outside of Marvel in terms of the way he's become a symbol of some things that are a little bit a little bit unpleasant within the larger culture. Yeah. I'm not so surprised they decided to retire him and send him off to 
some sort of murderous Valhalla kind of thing or whatever. But I am a little surprised that they're bringing back another murderous vigilante who's trying to avenge the death of his family with a bunch of big guns uh, as quickly as they did. So, yeah. eh, we'll see. I mean, I'm not exactly sure what this does. Like, what was the reason for sending Castle away and bringing in somebody else? I guess we'll see how it goes. Uh, but, yeah, would it, I like Popose. I've liked almost everything he's done for years on the indie scene. And he seems to have done a nice job with the Moon Knight books we're reading now. So I suspect it'll be good. I just think it might have been time to just give the Punisher a break for a few years. So, Okay. I understand completely. I, I did uh, want to note... And, oh. and this coming, by the way, from someone who has... I think more Punisher comics than I have single issues of almost any creator. Because I'd read a few of them and then I bought a collection that had almost a complete run of everything Punisher had been in up until the point when I bought it. And I read really? through a lot of them. They're actually pretty good books, a lot of them. But it is um, it's very murdery. So it, it, <laughs> uh, you've got to take them a few at a time sort of thing. And I'm not sure there is much my cup of tea now as they might have been a decade ago when I when I picked a lot of them up. Sure. Speaking of a lot of murderous things, Invincible Season 2 now streaming on Amazon Prime. At least the first half of Season 2. Apparently there is, it is an eight-episode season, the first four episodes premiering each one episode each week in November, and then they're on hiatus until the middle of next year. I saw some Something somewhere saying June was potentially when the uh, second set of episodes was coming out. But I I know there was a long break between season one and season two. I've seen season one. I, I thought it was rather good, if not very murderous, as you said about Frank Castle and the Punisher. Uh, I have not dived into the first episode, but I am looking forward to it watching these episodes here in the, in the next few weeks. And if you ever get a chance to, a lot of libraries have these now as well. A lot of the Invincible stuff has been collected in these big omnibuses. It is actually well worth reading. Invincible by Robert Kirkman is pretty fantastic comics. And again, they can be pretty bloody, but they also are really well done and there's really good characters and it's it's interesting stuff. So... I, I like those a lot. Uh, yeah. I prefer Invincible to Walking Dead by quite a bit, actually, in, in the Kirkman world. Sure. Looking over at Marvel Unlimited this week, there's actually a lot of number ones premiering this week, uh, too. I think we should highlight specifically because of the Marvels and the and the characters we're talking about this week. Captain Marvel, number one, and Miss Marvel, the new mutant, number one are both becoming available this week on Marvel Unlimited. But if you're looking for some other number ones, you could look at Death of the Venomverse, Astonishing Iceman, What If, Dark Venom, The Amazing Spider-Man Annual number one, Strange Academy, Miles Morales number one, and there's a Magneto number one. So... Lots of uh, opportunity to jump in at the very first issue of a lot of different characters this week. Yeah, I think that that 
that Ms. Marvel one is interesting because this, of course, is the book that we've been waiting for. They they killed her off earlier this year in that whole Spider-Man thing that got uh, got quite a bit of of publicity and not a lot of love, and are now bringing her back as a mutant to line up better with how Ms. Marvel is going to be portrayed in the MCU moving forward. Because previously, she would have been, you know, the Terrigen Mists, and she's more of an inhuman, which don't tell Dwayne this yet, because he's only read five issues, so he hasn't he hasn't heard the rest of the origin story. But okay. um, but nonetheless, they're they're moving her now in terms of where her powers come from. So some people are saying this is because the inhumans are essentially just kind of dead in the Marvel Cinematic Universe for a while, along with the Eternals, because they both had really sketchy starts, and they're ready to bring in the mutants, and so they're going to make Kamala a mutant so she fits in with that part of the universe. So. Yeah. All right. Well, Dan, do you have a recommendation for us for this week? I actually was at uh, the, it's called Twin City, Twin Cities Con this, this last weekend. Got a chance to hang out, read a bunch of, uh, or get a bunch of cool comics, talk to a lot of creators. And one of the people I got to meet and go to a panel uh, that he was on is a guy named Andrew Aiden, who co-wrote the books the, like March and Run, which are the story of John Lewis and sort of the civil rights movement. Aiden is just a fantastic guy, really good speaker. And I was reminded just how good these books are. So if you, for some reason, have not read uh, the three March books, which are essentially about um, almost the, not only just John Lewis's life, but really through that, pretty much the entirety of the civil rights movement in America in the 60s and 70s. Uh, but then also Run, which is sort of a sequel to that where we look at him running for Congress and, and sort of some of that sort of thing. Just fantastic books. So if you haven't, if you hadn't had a chance yet, um, go ahead and find those and read them. They're graphic novels. So they are actually in, in a lot of schools and libraries. They were never published as floppies, but really, really good comics. Sounds interesting. I, I found a couple links to some information about those uh, books. Uh, to give you a starting point if you are interested in that but i think with that let's jump in and let's talk about the stack this week dan we had actually quite a plethora of books uh for the first time in a little while a uh, lot of different sets of books i guess i i would say um tell us what was in the stack this week and and why we picked these particular set of books the reason we picked these books is because there were some interesting names on the call sheet for the Marvels. Some characters that appear like they're going to have a relatively sizable role in the film, who nobody's probably ever heard of, who's an MCU fan. And right. in fact, many people who are long-term comics fans have never heard of, because there's some pretty deep cuts. So... We're going to read Silver Surfer number 53 and the Avengers number 346 from the early 90s. And they're going to be a way for us to get a look at uh, a character called Darben of the Kree. It's going to be, it seems like, one of the major villains in this. Then we're going to read Captain Marvel from 2014 number 9. 
And that's going to give us the introduction of, and in fact, really the only appearance, as far as I can tell, of a character called Prince Jan, who is also going to be in this. Neither of those is going to be a particularly comprehensive type of thing. So those will probably go pretty quick, unless yes. you disagree with me. Then we're going to get into the meat of things, which is two five-issue runs. The first one is Ms. Marvel from 2014, number one through five. This is the introduction of Kamala Khan and her origin story and her first adventure. And really good stuff. I love these books. I've read them a number of times. I think that they are comics done right in terms of things that would be an entry point for younger people to get them to actually start reading the universe. And then Photon from 2022 is the newest series from Monica Rambeau. She's been all over the place, like it's Captain Marvel, and she's done different things. But this series kind of recaps a little bit of her previous history and then also gives us an idea of where she's at right now. So, All right. Quite a bit to get through. Let's start back in the in the early 90s. We have Silver Surfer number 53 and Avengers 346. And the character Darben, who, like I said, we like you had mentioned, uh, if you look at like the IMDB and some of like the trailers and stuff, you see a character that it looks like they're going to be fighting uh called Darben that uh never heard of before before reading these books and and uh, just spoiler alert there's i don't know that i feel any more confident that i know much about the character now having read those books i think it's very interesting that the the synopsis of these are going to be pretty short like i said they came out one 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 year and one the next a silver surfer 1991 actually is the story of and it's weird because in actual fact, it's a Silver Surfer comic that does not have any Silver Surfer in it. Because it's the story of how two rebels on the Kree homeworld are upset with the sort of nincompoop alien who's taken over the Kree Empire. They're both generals. They plot to depose him. And the way they do it is building a robot that looks like the Silver Surfer. And Silver Surfer has been helping their enemies, the Skrulls. That robot then is sent in, it murders the king, the Kree ruler, sort of while he's on television. These guys then storm in, blow up the Silver Surfer robot and make it look like they've destroyed the Surfer to avenge the king's death. And then they take over as the rulers, the co-rulers of the Kree Empire. <clears throat> it seems like this has worked, because then a year later... We have a big war going on between the Kree and the Shi'ar. And if you remember the like Gladiator and the um, that Guardians group that we had um, seen a couple weeks ago, guy with the big yeah. fin and everything, they're from the Shi'ar or they're the, the Shi'ar um, kind of protectorate. And they're now fighting against the Kree. Well, it turns out that somehow or another, the Avengers are on this planet kind of trying to help with things. But also a, a uh, Shire assassin called Deathbird infiltrates the environment. These two rulers, one is called Elden and the other is, is Darben, 
actually are there. They realize there's all these aliens running around. They decide to take care of things themselves, so they wander out. They confront the Avengers, and while they're doing that, Deathbird, the, the assassin, comes in and murders both of them, effectively throwing the Kree Empire into sort of tumult by losing their leader again. So as far as I can tell, these are the two ever appearances of these two characters, are the one where they take control of the Kree Empire and the one where they're murdered and lose control of the Kree Empire. So that's that's the entire that's story their, arc. Yeah, that's their entire arc. Is So I would assume that things are going to have to be built on a little bit here in the movie or it's going to be it's going to be a bit weird so that's what we've got though so what did you think of these two stories first off well f first off the silver surfer book was really weird because you see what you think is the silver surfer or at least i thought it was the silver surfer for this entire thing but i'm like i don't understand why He's willing to work with the, the uh, you know, the Kree and, like, m murder their ruler, their interim ruler that is, that they think is a yep. buffoon. And then, like, he goes and just basically does it, no questions asked. And then all of a sudden these guys storm in and are like, how dare you do this to our, to our ruler? You will pay for this. And then they kill him. And then you see this, like these like robot parts just sitting there and you're like, okay, that's really weird. I don't get, I don't, there, there's obviously something going on here that's larger in scale than just this one book showed us. So I, I was wow. a bit, a bit confused by this. And then the Avengers book was, a bit chaotic as well because you had just this random set of Avengers on like the Kree homeworld and they're running around trying to like confront these these the 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 two rulers Darben and Aelden and and then there's this other third party that you're not really sure where they're from exactly and you know, you've got these two guys and they're like on this giant pedestal thing and decreeing this has got to happen and this, that and the other thing. And then all of a sudden they're just sort of out in the open and next thing you know, they're dead. It's just it's it, it was kind of crazy and not really. I'm, I'm thinking about what am I going to take from this that's going to help me with the movie? And I'm like, there's really nothing. There's really nothing here. Yes. So the a couple of things just to note for those who didn't get the visuals of reading these. Darben in the comics is a sort of a middle-aged white dude and his his sort of compatriot Aeldan is a classic blue Cree. So one of the weird things is the two of them taking the throne together helps to sort of stop what has traditionally been kind of a racial conflict within the Cree, between the Blue Cree and the White Cree. Darbin in the comics has ambition, right? We see that because he turns into a co-conspirator and takes over the Empire. He's depicted as a bit of a zealot, but he also seems to be slightly less crazy than Aeldan, who's the person who is taking the throne with him. And he also does drive bravely, if a bit stupidly, by rather than running 
when somebody named Deathbird comes after him, he decides to stand there and says, ah, I fight like a Kree warrior. And then he's dead like three panels later, right? So, um, so it's a character that's a pretty open, a pretty open palette. His presence would seem, though, to me, to indicate that part of this movie is going to have to do with power struggle within the Kree Empire itself. That maybe there is a civil war going on or something like that, and that Darbin is part of that civil war. Somehow Carol gets mixed up in it. Maybe she eventually starts to, uh, you know, fulfill that promise to take down the Kree Empire that she'd made back in the original Captain Marvel movie. So... But other than that, I, I don't know that there's a lot there that we really we really can take away in terms of story points. We probably learn more from the the trailer about Darben than we do from the comic books that the character was in. Yeah, it's it's interesting that like the most recent trailer that they're showing is they're showing Thanos and the snap and and all of this and about how he even says if it's not me, it's going to be somebody that's going to continue the work. And then they show Darben and, you know, I, I, I'm also wondering about like the Supreme intelligence that we saw from in the first Captain Marvel movie and how that plays into all this too, because it was such a major part of that first film. It would seem like if this Darben is a general for the Kree that, they're working for the Supreme Intelligence or something like that. I, I I would think that there would be some connection there, but I honestly have no idea. Well, it did seem like, even in the comic, that the Supreme Intelligence, as usual, is sort of like this supercomputer that, that leads the Kree in terms of almost advising, but doesn't actually have power, that there's always some sort of figurehead oh, okay. leader in the front that generally decides to ignore the supreme intelligence and do their own stupid things instead so there you go and that's why it sort of popped out after they got murdered and said oh got to figure something out now because we've uh we've got a problem here there yeah. and the supreme intelligence will be in this movie and kind of in its massive floating head uh, original form which is the the classic version that we're all looking forward to seeing yeah yeah, nothing against Annette Benning, obviously. She she did a great job, but I think that uh the big floating head of the classic Cree would be would be cool. Hopefully we get that. Yeah, you know, kinda of little weird tentacles coming out of it. It looks just uh it's always it's always weird. But that's all I got on that one. I don't know there's a whole lot more to talk about than this. He uh he took power and then he died, and that's all we've got to his story arc. So all right, well, then let's move on to Prince Yan and Captain Marvel number nine, which this is, this is actually a fun little book, I have to say. I like this entire run. This is Kelly Sudakonic and David Lopez, and colored by Lee Lafridge, lettered by Joe Carmagna, and edited by Sana Amat, who's, who's going to be a name we're going to hear again. Uh, Sana Amana is actually somebody who's very involved with Ms. Marvel and the creation of that character as well. But these are fun because Lopez's art is very sort of almost cartoony. It's got a almost a, an, a classic comic strip kind of feel to it. And DeConnick's got a really good feel for this character, obviously. So 
the first issues are all fun too. She's like voyaging around doing stuff, hanging out with friends. In this one, Captain Marvel and her friend Tick are actually wandering around in their ship and they end up being whisked away to the planet Aldana by an interstellar rock star named Lily, Lila Cheney, who just sort of parachutes directly into or, or teleports directly into their vehicle. Uh, Lila was accidentally betrothed to the Prince of Aldana years ago. She has no interest in getting married, and she's come to Carol to see if she can get her out of it. Carol actually takes a liking to Prince Yan, who's the betrothed, once she meets him. Finds out he's trying to prove his world. But he actually can't take the throne until he weds, which is a problem, because evidently on this planet currently, men are unable to ask women to marry them. They have to essentially be asked, and it's the choice of their families and everything else. Um, so he does need to get married, at which point he's like, I'm going to change this whole system, because it sucks. She ends up fighting with another suitor to actually defend the prince, and as it all ends... Tick, her friend that she's traveling with, ends up saying, you know, hey, I'll marry the prince so that Lila doesn't have to. And the prince agrees to this because evidently there's no other woman on his own home planet who would marry him. And that's the end of the story. So kind of crazy. What do you got well, for us, sir? Well, I mean, this the other suitor was the woman who wanted to marry him. He didn't want to marry her. And so basically no. it was up to, if it was up to his family, he'd have to marry this woman he doesn't want to marry that wants to marry him. And so he was looking basically to anybody else, which I mean, I'm sorry. That feels, it feels a little no. bad, I think for, for, for the woman that's getting rejected here. But um, yeah, this the the other thing Dan failed to real to to mention in all this is the world of how did how did you say that Al Aladna Aladna I think Aladna. something like this the world of Aladna speaks in rhyme oh yeah so no I so, I ignored that I didn't fail to uh... <laughs> the the every character speaks in rhyme and they like kind of look distrustingly at people who don't speak in rhyme and so the fact that there's this interstellar rock star mutant um you know this was like her place to come and hang out when she was younger and where she would go to like write her music and things like this and so she fit right in and and apparently inadvertently got herself engaged way back when and but it, but it was just funny just reading through this book and you get to this planet and then all of a sudden everything rhymes and it it's just sort of was was i thought kind of cute actually there you go so yes everything everything was in rhyme and she was not good at it uh captain marvel was not great at the rhyming which originally gotten away of her diplomacy but i i like the story i, I like dollies it is it is light-hearted it's got sort of this inverted save the princess type of thing where you know the the knight riding in to save the princess is captain marvel and it's the prince she's saving instead it is also sort of weird though because if this had been inverted and you had some guy coming in to save the princess, but then the princess ends up having to marry 
his squire to somehow escape the crazy parents, it would still have kind of a feel bad to it. That right. I don't know. Maybe it still does. So, um, Lila Cheney, I love her. She's been around for a long time. She premiered way back in the New, New Mutants stuff that I used to love as a kid, New Mutants and X-Men. She used to uh, hang around with that crew, and there were a number of annuals and other things she was in. So this is a character who's got a history in the Marvel Universe. I was wondering about that, because she's like on the cover of the of the book, and they like mm-hmm. really tout the fact that, that Lila Cheney is in this book, and I'm like... I don't know who this is. And they're like sitting in there and Tick puts on a, a cassette tape and it's her music and she's like jamming out and excited. And then all of a sudden she just appears in their ship and it's just like, okay, hilarity is about to ensue, I guess. Yeah, it's uh, it would be, I don't know, kind of one of those where there, there was essentially Dazzler and there were Lila Cheney, and they were the good girl and the bad girl of the, the rockers of the Marvel Universe. They're both mutants, and one of those, it's kind of like, I don't know, Tiffany and, and Debbie Gibson of their era or something like this. So, All right. Okay. Anyway, That's great. Or of that era, technically. So, yeah. anyway... I, I think, though, that, yeah, basically the, the weird thing about this is that this guy's also a pretty two-dimensional character. I mean, the only thing we know about him is if he's going to be at all, like, you know, real, he's going to have to speak in rhyme, which will drive everybody on the Internet crazy. Yes. And and he's kind of this noble. He's noble. He's idealistic. He's got the chiseled abs and, you know, Captain Marvel's kind of gaga for him. What I find interesting is this could be sort of a a, the Marvel's movie equivalent of Moon Knight's Arthur Harrell, right? We knew nothing about Arthur Harrell. It was almost just like a fake name put out there to, in, in my opinion, to distract us. So we didn't realize that this was actually the Sun King story and, and some of the stuff like that. Maybe this is just a, a misdirect and it's actually some other character, some other royalty, whatever that it's being patterned off of. But I don't know of anyone else who it would be. So if if this is a character who's in there, he will be someone who Captain Marvel has helped in the past to take control of his of his kingdom. And that maybe he owes her a favor or something like this. I did not see anything as far as the the friend. There's nothing in the in the actual um like notes that shows us that in any way we're going to have Tick in here, although she could be renamed or or something else as well. But another weird character to bring in, a weird idea. So I I don't know how any of this fits together because there are no stories that have Darben and and you know Prince Jan in them, right? Right, right. That just doesn't happen. So this. This is, I, I would have to assume, essentially just a completely new story. That makes and sense. Just moving from there. All right. Well, let's move on to, I think, uh, is a better representation of the character that we're going to see in the movie and actually was a part of the, the Disney Plus TV show, and that's Miss Marvel. 
We read five books from Miss Marvel from 2014, books one to five. And actually, Dan, I had not watched the TV show before reading these comics. I read the comics and I enjoyed the comics so much. I'm now five out of six episodes watching the TV show and plan to watch the last episode before going to the movie this weekend. Give us a little bit. Give us a little bit of a rundown on Miss Marvel. So. And this, this story, written by G. Willow Wilson, uh, penciled and inked by Adriel Nalfana, colored in hiring uh, Joe Caramagna on letters. It was edited by a trio of people, Saina Amanet, Devin Lewis, and Stephen Wackler. And uh, G. Willow Wilson and Saina Amanet are both um, Muslim Americans. They are people who are very invested in sort of the culture and the like. So one of the things they wanted to do was make kind of a, a realistic portrayal of a Pakistani-American family. And so a lot of what we're going to read here in the plot is not really as interesting as just how this really dumps you into a culture that you maybe, as a comic fan, haven't seen very often. Uh, I, find Ms., I find Ms. Marvel fascinating just because I like a lot of the extra characters. You know, I like the Sheik. I like her dad a lot. He's, he seems to be an interesting dude. Um, but the story itself is about a 16-year-old girl named Kamala Khan, who's just a normal New Jersey kid. Her Pakistani family is a bit traditional, they're a bit modern, and they are very protective of their young daughter. Uh, Kamala gets fed up with this at a certain point, just wants to go out and hang with her friends, and so she sneaks out to go to a party one night, at which point she happens to leave the house on exactly the night when a huge mist engulfs New York, getting everybody a little bit lost, making things a little weird. When this mist hits, she ends up sort of falling asleep or getting knocked out. She thinks it might be because someone gave her a bit of alcohol, which she immediately spit out uh, because she yeah. has no idea how alcohol works. And then in the morning, she ends up waking up with powers. Uh, she accidentally turns herself into sort of classic Carol Danvers. She's got shape-changing ability. And then eventually she finds one of her friends, actually sort of a frenemy named Zoe, falling into the water, potentially drowning, and she's using it a big in the hand to uh, reach in and save her. She also gets grounded when she returns home late and her family finds out she's been gone. Uh, then... She gives the sheik at her mosque a headache the next day while asking questions he doesn't want to be asked. Spends a lot of her time avoiding her friend Bruno, who was the one that called her parents when she was missing in the mist. Eventually decides she has to go and talk to Bruno and get things worked out, but ends up getting shot trying to break up a robbery when she gets to the Circle Q where he works. The robber actually is Bruno's idiot little brother, and Bruno finds out that Kamala is the new hero in the block after she ends up sort of starting to bleed and changes back to herself, uh, at which point when she changes back, suddenly she's all healed. Everything's better. She actually ends up helping to, or agreeing to help Bruno save his brother from somebody called the Inventor. And her first attempt at this goes badly, after which we get kind of a little training montage with her and Bruno trying to not only get her a little bit physically conditioned, but then also she gets some uh, some little toys to help out maybe if she needs to. She makes a better costume than she had before. Goes in for a rematch. At that point, she saves the kid brother. 
and ends up issue five just sort of wandering around on the streets of New Jersey, inspiring the locals, sort of taking her place as her neighborhood's friendly hero. So, friendly neighborhood Ms. Marvel girl. So, yeah. there you go. It's, it was so cute. It, it I mean, the parallels to like Spider-Man almost were, were, it's not almost. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's there's there's a lot of parallels there. But mm-hmm. to to your point, I think it's really interesting the the just the characters that you're introduced to. You know, uh, her her brother and you know the parents and everything like this. Bruno to me seems like a very interesting character. The you know the 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 guy in the chair for her basically. And uh, I I liked it. It the 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 artwork in here was was great. It was very bright. It, it had I I I want to say it's like an anime ish sort of look, but it, I don't know that that's a great way of describing it. What I will say is that to me it had this rather simple but effective look to it and and i i don't mean to be demeaning when i say simple i i just mean that there it there isn't a lot of detail it's not very it it, it's not like it doesn't take you a long time to like drink in the panels right you 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 can just sort of like at a glance look at the panel and know exactly what's going on so from that point, it feels to me simple, but it's very good at conveying what's going on. And just the way the story is being told, I just thought it was, I thought it was great. It was just very lighthearted. It was very upbeat, positive. And, you know, short of the fog cloud being kind of the way that she gets her powers, it, I mean, it was that I'll argue with, but as being not the greatest origin story in the world, but I'm sure there are worse. And, but, but I, I liked this. I really liked it. Like I said, it got me very interested in the character so much so that I, I ended up wanting to watch and, and have watched most of the, uh, the TV series that came out last year. So just as a note in the, in defense of the fog cloud powers, that actually is how the hum- the Inhumans get their powers. Is at a certain okay. point in their life, when they reach like puberty or whatever, when they reach the point where it's time to get their powers, they go into they're they're issued into the Terrigen Mists, and then a certain percentage of them evolve into these weird sorts of things. And they some of them will change physically, some of them will gain powers, whatever. But that's kind of the thing: is the Terrigen Mist is what does it. Okay. What you'll find out later if you keep reading is someone nefariously released Terrigen Mists to try and cause trouble. Mm. So, okay. So, yeah, it uh, in the context of of Marvel Comics, it makes sense. I suspect that not only you but Marvel Marvel Studios believed that this was not a great origin story they wanted <laughs> to hold on to, and so. They uh, they ditched it and just went with uh, with a more traditional way of getting her powers by making her a mutant. So, but in any case, yeah, this is 
the art is so much fun. It's got almost like a like a wash kind of thing to it. And the colors are really interesting too. But yeah, I, I think that it is a much simplified art style. But that's not a, a, you know, when you say, well, I don't mean it as an insult. Simple is not easy in comics. No. <clears throat> you know, being, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who say that the, the best art is the art achieved with the fewest lines. You know, if you can, if you can use the, the less, the least amount of information to con- or of, uh, of detail to convey what you want, that's the best way to convey the message clearly. And it's very, very well told story. Like it just flows so well. And there's a lot of emotion and detail in the faces and everything like that. You can almost feel what people are thinking. You can feel for poor Bruno, who it's obvious is completely head over heels for this yes. girl. Much, yes. much to the dismay of the fact that she does not realize he exists at all. Unfortunately. Yeah. But such is the way of it. But mm-hmm. uh, so Bruno, Bruno's my guy. I, I, I feel for him. I've always liked him in the comics. So, um, but just all the characters, her, her friends, her goofy, super religious older brother, everybody just fits and feels authentic. It's a really, you know, G. Willow Wilson is not just a comic writer. She's written like novels and she's written all sorts of other stuff. Her ear for dialogue is impeccable. Yeah. These people, these people sound like kids and the actual dialogue is, is so believable and just feels so natural, you know, now saying that obviously having never been to New Jersey or in <laughs> a New Jersey Pakistani home, I can't say exactly that this is natural, but it feels like it feels there is like a, it, yeah. a, a natural sort of, this is a family that's dealing with these sorts of, th- of issues and topics. And she writes it all just so convincingly. Uh, so everybody is, is on their, is on their game with this and just does a brilliant, brilliant book. So also there's a lot of things, you know, like uh, I like how her final, her final slogan almost to herself is good is not a thing you are. It's a thing you do, you know, that, that she, when it comes down to it, it really is about this is a kid who wants to go out and make a difference in our community. And been wanting to find a way to be different, to be special. This is kind of, you know, when they talk about how comic books for a long time have been these adolescent male power fantasies, this is kind of an adolescent girl power fantasy, right? But it fits, like you said, the exact same pattern as peter parker right you know with the with the one exception that there's a distinct lack of tragedy yeah you know he doesn't she doesn't have something she has to to feel bad for and to somehow atone for she's a very just positive happy character who gets these powers and she's like hey what can i do now i'll go and i'll go and squash bad guys with a super big hand and when i say i'm biggin by the way what in the comics, what her powers are, besides some shape changing and the like, she has the ability to change either her size or parts of her body's size. So she can make her hand like 10 feet big and then use it as some sort of sledgehammer and the like. Or she can make herself really small and hide that sort of thing. Uh, and like the arm stretches, like she's like Stretch Armstrong or something. Mm-hmm. Too. 
Yep. And everybody says it looks really gross. So the the idea is that it looks really strange when she does these contortions, but it works. It allows her to allows her to do what she needs to do. Again, completely not what her powers are in the comics, where they've changed it a lot and made them more of traditional sort of like energy blast type of power things. So she still has a little bit of the the hand stuff and some things she can do, but that's mostly been been sort of minimized. So yeah. All right, should we move on to the final set of books, the Photon books from 2022 and our look at Monica Rambo? So these books were written by Eve Ewing, uh, penciled by Luca Maresca, uh, inked by Maresca as well, um, and then colored by Carlos Lopez, lettered by Clayton Cowles, and edited by Annalise Bisa. So... Really some good looking books, I think. And and it was uh I like the covers a lot. Cool stuff. So Monica Rambo starts out this series having a sandwich, which is actually kind of a theme we're gonna be seeing over the next five issues. Uh she ends up taking a photo with a fan on the street and then ends up or and then goes to deliver the Stone of Hala to Doctor Strange, and there she's been given by the Avengers. Outside of the Sanctum Shintorum, she's told by an old foe that she's going to end up destroying the universe. Rambo does not take this particularly serious or worry about it, though. Goes home, has a glass of wine, wanders off to her dad's place, and has a cup of coffee, and then ends the issue taking off into space. Next, issue two, we see her come back in New Orleans. We don't know how she got there or why she was no longer in space. Uh, she's visited by the Beyonder compliments her on her power, and notes that he's been attracted to her unique aura for a long time. The Avengers show up, although it's a team from a previous era, and then they end up just sort of going away, and we learn that Rambo's power is indeed breaking the walls between worlds, and that this was probably a team of Avengers from a different dimension. The Avengers then reappear. They go and have beignets with another different dimension version of Dr. Voodoo, who in this reality has ended up being married to Monica. After this party, she bounces into a different dimension and visits with family members uh, until she eventually returns to space and finds a vehicle of a group called the Cheros, a space-faring people who she saves by using her radiation powers to cure their cancers. She then dimension hops to an Earth where Moonstone is helping to study what's called the Rambo effect at a think tank. Uh, essentially, the Rambo effect is they think that she's got a ton of power and is extremely dangerous, and th weird things are happening around her. This actually leads to the only battle in this story arc, as Rambo takes a swing at Moonstone while trying to take off with this dimension's Stone of Hela, which she believes is the key to solving her various issues. She then has more coffee and more snacks with her family, and then gets psychoanalyzed by the Beyonder, who comes back so that he can determine that unless she fulfills a repressed quote, deep-seated desire, end quote, the universe will indeed end sort of at her hands. Enter Star Fox, the god of desire, who the Beyonder brings her to and who links her unconscious to a machine that lets her share his thoughts. This helps her realize that she has never really believed that she's worthy, but that indeed she is. Monica ends up shouting out, I am enough all by my damn self, and with that she starts to glow 
and evaporates away the apocalypse with the thought. It's a little weird. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. There is there is a lot of characters and the dimension hopping that was going on was really weird. There was a lot of characters I wasn't familiar with. And yeah, I just I don't I don't know what to think of this. Like I wanted to like it. I think the character is interesting. She's obviously very powerful, but like I don't know, the story didn't really really hit with me that well. I it's a very weird story. I I mean, I think part of it is that nothing really happens in this entire thing. And when you look at the power of some of the people, like that the Beyonders involved, that, you know, Star Fox, you've got Titans and gods and all sorts of these very, very powerful characters coming in. And really, there's no conflict in this entire thing. It's her floating around from living room to living room, having a snack, and then going out and talking to somebody else. And it does bring in a lot of her older foes. So it brings in Moonstone, it brings in Dr. Voodoo, or people she's had, you know, relations with over the years. But really, as far as the story goes, it's five issues that basically is just, you know, who's the, who's that guy from Saturday Night Live uh, many years ago that was the, you know, I'm, I'm good enough, I'm, I'm whatever Bert enough. Smalley, and, yeah. yeah. Is the, <laughs> people like Smalley me. episode. Uh, <laughs> The Stuart so, Smalley comic, huh? It really seems like it. You know, that, that in the end, the universe was going to end if she just didn't believe in herself. And then once she did, I mean, she just rolled back the end of the universe with kind of a thought. I mean, that's... That's it's, it's a little weird. At least. <laughs> yeah, but what kind of power? Like, what is she actually doing? That's not radiation powers. That's reality warping powers, almost. Yeah. You know? And so, I don't really understand this one. I will admit, I think the art was great. A lot of the dialogue was nice. I am all for comics that are more about adventures that don't necessarily need to be resolved by violence. Yeah. So I think, I think the idea of this is cool, but I really just don't know that the story makes any sense. I, I read through it a couple of times going, what exactly am I supposed to take away from this? And maybe it's something that would resonate better with different audiences. I'm yeah. probably not the target audience for this, right. but I still find it just... Just as a regular comic story, uh, I don't know that there's, I don't know there's a lot there. I, I, I think that part of the problem is there are so many dimensions and so much hopping. So even when she's talking to her cousin, there's so many different versions of them and you don't know exactly what's going on that it's hard to really connect to it. Right. And so that's always a danger when you start doing these multi-dimensional travel things. Um, also, if this thing's really powerful, she's she's completely broken the endgame paradox because she just ran off with the uh the whatever it's called, the the stone of Hala from that one dimension and absconded with it back to hers so that she could use it. So 
Now, uh, main dimension has two and the other one doesn't have any. So that's going to end poorly for somebody, probably. Uh, in any case, I understand why they did it, right? Because it looks like, you know, this revisits a lot of errors of her life. It recaps some of her previous jobs, you know, like running the Avengers, some of the times where she had big stories, like when she was almost killed, things like that. It seems like this is trying to act as a reintroduction of the character, uh, much the same way that we saw before for Carol Danvers. And in fact, it feels like this is trying to do for Monica Rambeau what that 2012 Captain Marvel series did for Carol Danvers. Right? Right. Now, does it succeed? I, I guess I'm not, I'm not really sure that for me it hit. But on the other hand, maybe it sets some things up. You know, it does set up a new status quo, kind of gets... Somebody who's finished reading this is reintroduced to her family. They've got a pretty good idea of who she is. I think one problem may be that they have overpowered her to the point where, you know, she can... She can save the universe and cure cancer and basically go anywhere and hang with gods. What? You know, not good. You can't, you can't have her stopping shoplifters at this point, right? So it's a, <laughs> little, bit, not. It's a little crazy. But, um, but I, I think that's, that's kind of what the attempt was. Maybe it'll work for that. I don't believe this went more than five issues. So I don't know there's an issue six to continue it. So this will have to be the the on-ramp for the character in terms of that. Um, so I found it interesting that there was a lot of movement, but almost no action. She yeah. was constantly in motion. Yeah, she was going from this place to that place to the other place. And, mm -hmm. and then with the moving between kind of multiverses and stuff as well, it was she was constantly on the go, but there was not... Mm -hmm. There, there was there was a lot of talking. She was doing a lot of talking, uh, you know, with her with her parents, yeah. with her cousin, with the Beyonder yeah. and all that. But yeah, there wasn't there there wasn't any conflict, and and yeah. so no no real action to speak of. Uh, yeah, there really wasn't any conflict. There was there was no one against her except no. herself. And, and, and she didn't even know she was against. She yeah. didn't even realize or know that she was the one causing the issue for for most of this run. And then it was like in the span of almost a couple pages, she went from not knowing to knowing to fixing all in kind of that yeah. span of of a, of a couple yeah. pages. Yeah, because at the at the beginning of things, he does not look like somebody who's unhappy. He's enjoying no. her sandwich. There's people in the street coming up and taking photographs of with her and saying, "Hey, you're awesome, and we we loved you as leader of the Avengers and stuff." So this is not somebody who's you know sitting next to a statue with his knees busted and and an alcohol problem like Moon Knight at the beginning of of the uh, the fifth the fifth uh, series. You know, it's it's very strange to think that that was a character who is in such distress that she was on the verge of breaking the universe. Right, yeah, but yeah, a lot, a lot of, a lot of movement, but most of it was just couch jumping. She would move, and then she'd hang out on a couch and talk to somebody, and then she'd move and hang out and talk to somebody. So, 
very weird superhero comic, but uh, but nonetheless, really well crafted, uh, nonetheless. So I uh, I'm ambivalent on this. I... You ever you ever feel like like literally this is what I ask for out of comics more is for them to be more reflective and to be more sort of you know talking and res resolution through other means and the like. But then you get it and you go, man, that was five issues that were kind of boring. I wish somebody had gotten punched, you know? <laughs> Be careful what you wish for, Dan. Be careful what you Star wish for. Star Fox could have gotten punched. He's always he's always deserving of a good, good smell. So. He, he, he does sort of see it. He does kind of have this swarmy vibe to him. It yeah, seems like every, t every time you see him. He is the worst. All right. There we go. So, some questions, I guess. These will be a little interesting because we've got a lot of different options for you. Right. What was your favorite story of this week, sir? Unexpectedly, I'm going to say the Captain Marvel number nine because it was just <laughs> fun. It was entirely out of left field. I didn't know who Lila Cheney or Tick were. I didn't know that I needed a world where there was nothing but rhyming going on. Uh, it had a little bit of action. It had. It looked great. the The art was mm -hmm. amazing. Uh, I just, I liked it. It was. It was short. It was sweet, and it was. It was fun. I I agree actually. And again, if you get time, that whole run, um, the Mechanic Lopez run is a lot of fun. Um, Artists of the week. Uh, it's I. I think the the Mar Miss Marvel books, the uh, Adrian Alfana. Mm -hmm. That's how you said it. I I, I loved the art. It, it, you know, we met, I mentioned it before. It looked good, and felt simple, and it was brightly colored. I never got lost. The characters were consistent. I I just I really liked the way the way it looked and and it really I think the covers were really nice across those books as well and so there was there was just a lot to like from an art standpoint and I, and I and you know I think this is like one A on my favorite story of the week because I think the the story was really well done in here too and uh, you know the art just complemented it really really. I would flip those. I think my favorite, my favorite story would have been the Ms. Marvel books. I really enjoyed those by Wilson, and I really like the art in the Captain Marvel books. I think those are just really, really fun art in those. But again, also love the art in Ms. Marvel and the story in Captain Marvel. So it's all good. Worst part of the week. What, what, what's your downer for the week? I was really hoping to get. And some like information or, or get some feel of who Darben and Prince Jan were by reading the comics. And those characters did not really have any form of substance to them in these stories. So reading them in preparation for the Marvel's movie, what 
felt like a bit of a waste of time almost because it, it, we're, we didn't really get anything in these books to give us any sort of clue what we were getting ourselves into with these characters when it comes to the movie. So I, I'm disappointed in that. I guess I'm just going to have to deal with it. I, I've been introduced to Monica Rambo. I've been introduced to Kamala Khan and, and Carol Danvers, and that that's going to have to be enough. I've gone into a superhero movie with less, so this should be this should be fine. But I was hoping yep. for a little bit more for those characters. Yeah, I think it's interesting because you know there are so many thousands of comics they could adapt. You know, there's a lot of really good Captain Marvel stories to adapt, and maybe they did adapt one of them. But we just have to wait and see what it is but it seems like they decided yet again to just make something out of whole cloth and i don't know i i think that it may have been better i get that they want to get all three of the the marvels you know the captain marvel related women into one story but i don't know i think it might have been might have been just as good to just have gone with a really straight straight up sequel to captain marvel because you made a billion dollars with that movie. Why mess with it and screw up the, you know, why, why screw up the formula at that point? But I think that when they started planning this, Marvel would have still been in the we're printing money and nothing can stop us. We can do anything mode. Right? Because they had to start it three, four years yeah. ago. And at that point, it looked like, you know, they could do anything. So I suspect if they were starting the plan or could have changed the plan as of this spring, they probably might have made some changes, but it's a little late now. So, nonetheless, we will we will see how it goes, and uh, hopefully, all this fits together. Darben and Princeon all have reasonable roles that make sense, and uh, we come back in a week and go. We should have trusted them. Marvel had it all. <laughs> Marvel had it all figured out. It makes perfect sense now. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes your confidence meter on that does not sound like it's way it you know the... <laughs> it, it, it 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 doesn't actually matter because like i it whether i'm confident in it or not i i expect i'm gonna go in and i expect that i'm going to have a good time because I, this week you know in the last couple of weeks i've rewatched the captain marvel film I've watched now almost the entire Miss Marvel series. I remember loving uh, WandaVision, which is where we first see Monica Rambeau and and Ooh. some of her powers and stuff. And so you have the foundation for you've got three really cool characters. We're we're gonna see the Flarkin again, Goose probably, along with some of yeah. his Flarkin friends, and uh, you know there's. There's a lot to like about the individual pieces. And I, and I just, I have a hard time believing that you can create a story where you've got all these really good individual pieces and not get a reasonable story out of it, right? It just, it, it feels to me like I'm going to be entertained and satisfied coming out of this film. Maybe, maybe it won't be as good as the first Captain Marvel film. Maybe it will yes. be. I, you know, there, there, 
I like these characters and I'm really excited to see them on the screen again. And, and I think some of the most interesting things about like the Avengers movies and stuff is seeing how some of these characters interact with one another. And so I'm really interested in seeing, you know, more context to some of these, some of these things we're getting brief glimpses of in the trailers where, where the characters are interacting with each other. Yep. That sounds, that sounds good. I, Brie Larson's always fun. I love all pretty much everything she's in. So I'm, I'm sure I'm going to enjoy just that and all the other characters Uh, do have two things, by the way, check to see if this is on your Google as well. Google Captain Marvel to cast and then just see what it comes up with. It shows you the Marvels, right? Yes. And then there's pictures of the actors? Yes. Who's the first actor shown? The Prince Yan actor, Park Sojun. It seems like they're otherwise in order, but for some reason, Brie Larson is getting second billing in Google to Prince Yan on her own movie, which, if this actually turns out to be some sort of Prince Yan pilot, and the Marvel's women really aren't even in it, there will be there will be howling on the internet from that too, I suspect. I, I do feel like there's a little bit of a spoiler here because it shows Jude Law in here as Yanrog from Yes. So so we might so we might get that. By the way, did you see Colby Smulders is listed? I didn't I did not. I didn't you expand know, it. Things be interesting because me, of course, most of you probably had the good sense to skip Secret Invasion. She's dead because she was murdered by a Skrull infiltrator in uh, in in Secret Invasion. So, but you know, we uh, we never really saw them do anything with the body. So currently, she's only comics dead. So there's still hope. All right, Dwayne. So there we go. I think that's that's what we need to know to get ready for things. You and I and everybody else out there. Yeah. So now, so now, obviously, next week, what we're going to be talking about is the Marvels movie for the the brand new movie coming out this weekend. I, I actually have tickets to go on Saturday uh, early afternoon, and and so we'll be recording, talking about it, and and sharing our thoughts with you on it on next week's show. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Always fun to just get out to the theater and see something you haven't seen seen before it's a, a brand new marvel movie is always great until it turns out to be the eternals let's hope this is not that <laughs> i don't think it's going to be that <laughs> I, the, like you said the latest previews and the like look good i think that the special effects look fun and it's a bunch of characters i enjoy i'm gonna go and have two hours of fun in the movie theater there's absolutely no problem with that and i All bet right. at least one person gets punched just just so you know there there could be some couch talk but there'll also probably be some punching as well depending on it all right and with that that is going to wrap it up for us for this week we'd like to thank you all for joining us if you're new to the podcast please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice that way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released if you're new to the podcast or you've been with us from the beginning we'd love to get your thoughts on the show or the uh comic books that we read this week 
getting prepared for the Marvels, or after you see it, the Marvels, let us know what you think. You can send those to us via email. That address is comments at comicsovertime.com. We're also available on social media on X at Comics Over Time, as well as Blue Sky at Comics Over Time. Dan, I enjoyed seeing Camilla Khan and Monica Rambo and some books before going and seeing them this weekend and the Marvels. I'm excited for the trailers. They look great. And I'm very much looking forward to talking with you and the listeners about the movie next week. Absolutely. Good times. We'll see you here in a week. All right. Until then, take care, everybody. See you later, folks.